This is the mind. Lots of things going on. I'm not sure, but I think, well, the focus for tonight is going to be uh, the hindrances, the obstacles on the path, and the ways to work with them, the tools that we have or already have. So they're basically, I'm working off two lists from the um, teachings of the Buddha. One is uh, it's called the hindrances, the five hindrances. The five snares or snags or brambles in the road. And the other is called the five faculties and or powers. And I guess people don't really put them together, but as I was studying them and practicing, I, I see how they, how they work together, how one relieves the other. And so... Uh, Not sure if the Buddha intended it that way, but um, it works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. So it's also part of, part of the scheme or the schema of the ten, the five, the three, and the one, which I've given in past talks, meaning that there is kind of ten uh, unwholesome states of mind that feed the five, which are the hindrances, which we'll get into, which then, uh, if go untreated, focus down into the, the three, which is uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, which the Buddha called the kalesas, or the um, torments of mind, the things that torment us, or the, the causes of suffering, which but is actually the one the one meaning anatta, no fixed and permanent self, that uh, I talked about a few weeks ago, being the biggest delusion of our lives is that we are this fixed and permanent self that we get confused about all the time. So that's the larger scheme of things, but I'm just going to really focus on the five. Because, you know, just easier that way. Because I also, I really like application. Like, how does this work? You know? Because we could talk about theory all day long. But, you know, there's thousands of books for that. I'm really interested. It's just my, it's, already, it's also just my orientation. There are other teachers who love to talk about theory and uh, uh, esoteric kind of practices. And I'm just not that guy. I believe in um, experiential and understandable. And I believe that actually the, that's what the Buddha was about too. That he understood theoretically and esoteric and mystic and all this kind of stuff. But he really just taught from a, a real practical state of being. A real practical toolbox. And that's always resonated with me. Matter of fact, there's a teacher named uh, Charlotte Catherine that is going to be coming on May 4th. 
she likes to talk about all the other stuff. So go check her out. So the hindrances. Hinder. In the way. Roadblocks in the mind. What are they? What are they? What do you guys think they are? Some of you guys heard them before. Yeah. Limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, in in Buddhism they say doubt, like doubting your true wisdom, doubting nature. Yeah, that's right. Being, being limited. Really good. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Good way of looking at it. Anything? Anything else you guys can think of? That like as you're meditating, what gets in the way from you having, you know, what you might call good meditation? Yeah, Chris. Sleepiness, yeah, right. Sloth and torpor, they call it. You know, sloth, and I always think about the, you know, the way the sloth is just like slowly moving. It's like the the, uh, and then torpor is like sleepiness, basically. So it's like this the or, but it's I don't know. It's such a strange. I actually was thinking about it as I was writing it down earlier. I was like, I don't think I've ever actually looked up the word torpor, but it's an interesting word. And what I understand it to mean is sleepiness or sluggishness of mind. So yeah, very much. What else? What else do you guys think you got? Distraction. Distraction. What kind of distraction? Um, There's so many, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Although that's part of it. That could be a distraction. Yeah, past experience, recent past experiences, uh-huh. you know, future experiences. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so past and future, so the mind yeah. wandering. Uh-huh. Yeah. We generally focus up, or think about that as restlessness. Like agitation in the mind, right? Or it's like busy, busy, busy. Not so much ego. Ego is um, much more on the, it's the one. Because ego is what we call self. And we're pretty attached to it usually. So other distractions or things that get in the way. Fear. Fear. Yeah, fear is definitely on the list. Um, Basically, the way that I understand it uh, is fear and anger are actually opposite sides of the same spectrum. And so, because there's fight or flight, right? So fear tends to be a cause for fight or flight um, or fear would be the kind of aversion and fight is would be more anger ill will so yeah so I from the Buddhist perspective working with this particular list that fear would could be either distraction like uh, Leslie was saying or really um, ill will or hatred, anger, or ill will, mm-hmm. aversion. Just you know, I, I think I make that in my mind. Like there's like a little squint and like a little push, squint push. Like no, that's not no. Any, any you guys almost got them all. Doubt we went with yeah. Oh, right. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we would call that agitation or judgment, really. It talks like that thing that's like judgment, yeah? Like you're judging your mind 
or you're judging your practice, or you're judging yourself, you're like, why can't I be calm, right? Why can't my mind just stop thinking, right? Did anyone ever get that? Why can't I just stop thinking? It's actually kind of a myth. We're not actually trying to stop our thinking here. That's not what mindfulness is. That's not what Vipassana is. It's the like, I don't know, it's just one, it's a big myth. I don't know where it comes from. Maybe Suzuki Roshi or something. Like some one of the early Zen clear mind guys. Now, what happens and what is talked about is that we can free our minds from greed, hatred, and delusion. Right? And so what else would you think about if you weren't thinking about greed, hatred, and delusion? Hmm. Desire is definitely one of them. Desire is probably one of the biggest. Yeah. But it's actually, it's what, it's what it's usually talked about is sen- sensual desire. Right? Desire for sense pleasure. Because uh, what do we like? We like things that smell good, things that taste good, things that look good, things that feel good. And what, would, what do we not like? Things that don't smell good, things that don't taste good, things that don't feel good. And we want to keep more of one coming and less of the other coming. And so what does that do? But it keeps us, it hinders us from doing anything besides grabbing and pushing, grabbing and pushing, right? So yeah, desire is huge. Sensual desire. And I remember when I was... First, like reading these these um, practices, and I was like sensual desire, and I used to have like judge the 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 word sensual. I was like, but wait, that's saying like not sex, right? I mean, that's what the. And it took me like a while before I was like, well, it doesn't actually say sexual desire. It says sensual pleasure, sensual desire. Although there's some like some of the. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the wording that there's a lot of interesting wording that's used around this. But it's usually about yeah, craving. Keeping sense pleasure and that could be sexual in nature, but it doesn't that's not that's not all. I thought it was just, I always just thought it was like the Buddha is down on sex. The Buddha is down on sex and I was bummed because you know <laughs> I'm not a monk. And the Buddha was like Sex is problematic. (laughs) So you should just let it go. That was the Buddhist teaching. Of course, if you're not going to be a monk or a nun, then how do you engage with sensual pleasure without letting it rule your life? I think of dogs, actually. Dogs are very sensual, pleasure-oriented, right? I mean, it's just really right there at the tip of their nose. And they're just like, you know, they sniff, 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 sniff. And everything's about sniffing and taking in, like, ooh, good. And then they, they like, they're like, you know, I can't do it because I'm not a dog. But, you know, they like sneeze if it's not good. But they're just going to put their nose in everything, right? That's kind of like being led by your sensual desire, which we often are. And just as unaware as the dog. Actually, maybe the dog's a little more aware. Because they just know, like, good, I want more. Mm-hmm. 
So sensual desire is definitely one of them. And this like continued, um, I don't know, we just get overwhelmed with keeping it coming. Keeping the sensual desire of pleasure, pleasurable experience coming. It's not that desire is bad. It's that when we crave and we want it and we want to keep it, that's when we get that rope burn that I've talked about in the past. You know, Things change. So, yeah. Let's see what we got here. Sensual desire. Anger or ill will. Sloth and torpor. Sleepiness. Or, or otherwise known sinking mind. Doubt. Well, restless. Restlessness. Worry. Agitation. Agitation. These are the five hindrances. One of the ways that um, the Buddha talked about describing these is describe, you know, our minds like a well, like if you take like a pot of water or like a bowl of water in like a clear glass bowl. You put, you fill it with water, and the water is clear. You can see really clearly, and it's calm. And the Buddha talked of that being our minds. And then desire, sensual desire, is like taking all kinds of different dyes and putting all kinds of different dyes in the water of uh, fantasy and excitement and... Um, you know, pleasure, sensual pleasure. And it's, so it just kind of obscures the clear and calm water. That would be one way of looking at sensual desire and how sensual desire hinders freedom. So anger or ill will would be like a boy, like putting that that uh, bowl of water under a flame, and then the water boiling. Right? We get boy, we get heated with anger and ill will, agitation, aversion. We just kind of get heated, and so we can't see clearly. We're obscured. Right? I think that's definitely. I mean, I, I think of desire, sensual desire, as being definitely obscuring, but it's colored. Right? So then ill will, as we get heated, you know, we just can't really think. We're not clear. So that's another way of thinking about it. Sloth and torpor um, is like if there was allergy uh, in the bowl. And the allergy just was like growing and it would get thick. And you, you, you know, it's like you couldn't, can't, you can't really see, and it's like heavy. Like, you ever seen a pond that is just like covered in allergy? It's just thick. And restlessness is if there was like a, a wind kind of coming and, and, and swirling around the bowl, right? So it would, it would obscure from the surface, but also maybe causing, uh, uh, 
underneath, you know. So this kind of, um, the way that restlessness, restlessness is often, I mean, it's a distraction. It's any of those distractions. Uh, some people actually use drugs, uh, particularly like stimulants, for that effect. They're like, I want to be distracted for the rest of my life. So I'm going to continually use a substance that will distract me. Right? Some people, um, it's just, they, they don't need the drugs, and it's just a strategy that they've adopted. Some people call that ADHD. The Buddha called it restlessness and agitation. Not that ADHD isn't, you know, another example. So that restlessness is like this wind or like, you know, there's some kind of disturbance. And then doubt. Doubt is like, I'm going to let go of the bowl analogy for a minute and just think about the uh, a pond instead I actually like a pond better. So that a pond is calm and clear, but it has this, uh, you know, uh, sediment at the end, at the bottom. And doubt is like getting clouded through with the sediment getting kind of mixed up. Sometimes it's restlessness or the other distractions or just. You know, uh, kind of, man, doubt is strong. Doubt is very strong. I think actually doubt is stronger than uh, desire. I think that it is. But it's a lot easier to work with, which is good. So yeah, doubt is like muckying up the water, muddying up. And then it takes time, though, if you have some faith, right? You have some confidence in your practice, confidence in the Buddhist teaching, then actually doubt will subside and we can see clearly again. I was talking with a group a while ago and they, I said something like that and they, were, they remembered that song, you know, I can see clearly now, the rain is gone, all, I can see all obstacles in my way, something like that. Now is it in your head? Uh, it's actually a, it's pretty a deep some deep wisdom right there. It's probably like Captain and Tennille or something. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know exactly, don't you? <laughs> no, no, the, the woman behind you, Cynthia, is a, good like that. All right. So now we're kind of getting into, so these are the hindrances. They, and one of the ways that it's talked about, this is a story that I like. Uh, the Buddha talked of not uh, creating the path known as Buddhism or, for, or the Eightfold Path. Not actually creating a path to freedom or liberation. Nirvana, Nibbana, freedom from suffering. He didn't create a path. He found a path that had already been there for 
eons. Rediscovered. The, this is the actually the Buddha's, I'm paraphrasing of course, but the Buddha's words as he's telling the story of uh, kind of setting off on his journey. He talks about rediscovering the path. And then he talked about rediscovering the path to an ancient city that had long, uh, long ago died. So all of the uh, people in this city that was, bit, that was deep in the jungle uh, had died off. And he talked about um, this ancient city at one point was bustling with joy and happiness and abundance and riches and freedom. Um, and what happened is that people were, they didn't need for anything. So they stayed at, in the ancient city. And they just lived out their lives in peace and harmony. And then they died off. Like all things do. And the city just sat there. And then over time, the path got covered. Grown in. The jungle moved in. Trees fell, you know, and that he, um, as he began setting out in, in, in his way, Siddhartha Gautama set, set out to discover uh, the end of greed, hatred, and delusion, or the end of old age, sickness, and death, right? what suffering, freedom from. So in that travel, in that dis, uh, discovery, he gives this analogy as he's rediscovered this path. And he's got to kind of use his own effort, mindfulness, concentration, faith. What else? Energy. Yeah, effort. And wisdom to clear the path. And these are known as the five faculties. The five things we have to have in order to set on the path. Or at least be willing to develop. Which is pretty much what we do here. So this ancient city, you know, uh, the Buddha... Cleared the, he was hacking away with his, hacking the weeds of his mind, you know, like bamboo. Bamboo just, it just grows, grows, spreads, takes over and kills other plants. And that's kind of like what greed, hatred, and delusion is like. Definitely greed. It's like the bamboo plant. You could hack it and hack it and hack it, and it'll grow back. I know I used to have bamboo in one of my, Backyards, and it just we wanted to keep it right along the fence, but it just didn't. It went whenever, wherever it wanted. You have to hack it and hack it, and then you got to get in there and you got to get the roots out. So the Buddha was kind of hacking away at the uh, greed, hatred, and delusion in his mind, the, the unwholesome states of mind. And he asks us to do the same thing, it takes effort. I remember when I was new to meditation, I just like, 
I learned how to meditate, and then I was like, I'm, I'm going to get enlightened. Like, that's my goal. So about a month in, I was like, I'm going to get enlightened, you know. I started doing Zen, Zen meditation practice, and I thought for sure I would get enlightened. Like within a, a week or two, you know. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Buddhism. I just knew that enlightenment meant like levitation or like powers would be stowed upon me. I don't know, mind reading, light out of my eyes. Like I, I didn't know. I was like, you know, in my 20s or something. Takes effort. So this path, and there's these brambles and anger and ill will. They come up, right? And how can we, how can we work with anger and ill will? There's a few different ways to think about it. Uh, one is mindfulness. You know. By increasing our mindful awareness, present time awareness, we can actually, it's like the idea of if you're not in anger, but you're aware of anger, it, you're not actually angry. So there's a difference. If I'm heated, my water's boiling, right? But if I'm aware, so there's a little bit of distance. If I'm aware of anger, my water's not actually boiling. It might be simmering though, right? And so that's important. That's an important distinction. I think it's true for desire too. If I'm like, I do this. I don't know. I've been doing this lately. As because it's like you know, like you have your iPhone and your you know your computers, and you can like touch it and make things bigger. And it's kind of like that's in our mind. Like whoop, like you're in the movie, or you're sitting in the seat at the movie theater, right? If we're caught in the movie, it's really easy. To just be in it, you know. But if we're mindful of it, we're see, we see the movie playing. And we might actually have some feelings about what's going on. Some internal, some physical sensations about what's happening. But we at least have a little bit of that space, that awareness. This is uh, one of the ways that the Buddha talked about dealing with um, anger or ill will or aversion. Is to be mindful of it. To bring awareness. Judgment. Distractions. It's not just for anger or ill will, but it's helpful. Another way to think about it or look at or look at how to work with anger or ill will is actually loving kindness. The heart practices, the Brahma Viharas, right? This kind of may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be free from suffering. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be free from suffering. Positive regard. If we can increase that, it's like uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama would say, um, or has said, you know, that uh, positive and negative forces can't occupy the same place at the same time. It's one or the other. Darkness and light can't occupy the same place at the same time. It's usually one is gaining and one is waning. So if we're feeding anger or ill will, then we're definitely not increasing (laughs) loving kindness and compassion. So the Buddha says, flip that, right? Start to feel the the, the boil, 
especially if it's usually pointed at someone or ourselves. So just use that phrase or any phrase like it. You know, May I be free from suffering. May I not be heated right now. May I not punch this person in the face. Right? Sometimes when I'm driving, I, I'm, I actually go, may I not flip this person off? May I not flip this person off? And I actually haven't, been, I haven't flipped anyone off driving in several years. Several years. Sometimes I sarcastically smile when they come by and they flip me off. For, you know, I don't know, whatever. Texting while driving or something. But that, yeah, just that practice, that simple practice. May you be happy. May you be free from suffering. Pretty helpful. May I be happy. We have to also remember that. May I be free from suffering. May I be healthy. It's not part of the faculties. It's like the Brahma Viharas are considered, you know, all good all the time. Like, you, you know, there's all these techniques, but and then there's the Brahma Viharas that should be practiced all the time until you're enlightened. Still working on it. So sloth and torpor, sleepy, sleepiness, sluggishness, very common. For some people, it's a defense mechanism. It's a way of saying too much. Too much. And so, I actually once was working with a, a working with somebody who was having a lot of stuff come up. And as they were talking about it to me, they just started to go to sleep as they were talking to me about it. Because it was heavy. And so we worked with it a little bit. And so... So that, as a defense mechanism, that can be one way to think about it, trauma-wise or you know, working with heavy memories, heavy stories. But the kind of just everyday sleepiness, sluggishness, uh, energy, effort, this is the, the prescription. So you can do lots of things about that. One is opening your eyes. Two is uh, imagining or envisioning kind of light, the kind of energy in your body, the life force energy. The Buddha called virya, uh, the Pali word, virya, which means energy, life force energy. Effort is. Um, when you keep coming back, even though you don't want to go meditate, even though, God, I would much rather like see what's on Netflix right now, you know, than go to that meditation group. Or, man, it's been, I've been out in the sun all day. I'd like to eat some food, mm, some sense of pleasure, take a nap. But you show up anyway. That's effort. Sustainable effort. You know, I heard Noah uh, Levine talking once about this kind of balance between mindfulness and effort. And he was like, (laughs) 
He was like, it takes about as much energy and it takes about as much effort and mindfulness and concentration as it does to ride a bike. You know, the constant kind of pedal, pedal, pedal. And then, you know, maybe there's a little downhill, you coast for a bit, right? You get to a mind state and you're like, yeah, this is good. And then you have to pedal again, though. Otherwise, eventually, you know, you'll slow down and you'll fall over. So it takes some balance, right? You have to have a certain amount of mindfulness when you're aware of your surroundings when you're riding. A certain amount of concentration, right? Not too much. You don't have to overdo it, right? People can get very serious with their bike riding, right? Very concentrated. But too much concentration and you won't see that there's cars and, you know, you're just pedal, 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 pedal. I don't know. I'm not really a biker. I'm just like using it because he used it as an announcer. But we were more, we were talking about it as more of like a cruiser, like a beach cruiser, you know, like on the cliffs. Like you got to be careful of the dog, be careful not to go off the cliff, keep pedaling. And also enjoying the, the beautiful nature that's around you, being mindful. Like that. Faith that the bike's not going to break down. Anyway, so that's like just a way of thinking about the effort. You can't just pedal, 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 and then stop. You can, and it'll work for a little while, but then eventually you will not progress further. See, that happens a lot. Yeah, This is uh, what the Buddha called a gradual awakening. And he gave that... Um, Analogy. He gave that metaphor actually as uh, talking about from the shore of the ocean, and then that there's this gradual deepening into the depths of the ocean that is far beyond our capacity to know or understand. Now, this is someone who, 2,556 years ago, I don't even know if he. Well, north, northern India. He knew that, obviously, he knew there was oceans. But there was no, like, scuba gear, you know. But he could see that there was this gradual dissension into the depths of the ocean. And it got darker and darker and deeper and deeper. And he used that as a way of understanding um, the depth of where one could go with meditation. Call it the gradual awakening. So, with restlessness, we can increase our concentration. So restlessness is this kind of scattered, like there's, you know, it's future, it's past, it might be fear, it might be, you know, it's just like the busyness, the frontal cortex. Just lop it off, focus back here on the cerebellum, and maybe the amygdala. That's kind of more central desire, but you know, you get the point. And you're coming back again and again, and you're just, this is that like sharpening the sword of the mind refining 
our attention. There's a a few really good ways to do that. Loving kindness. Any of the uh, repeated phrase, mantra practice. We don't really do mantra in this um, tradition. Because some people get so too fixated on the mantra itself. But that's not actually, at least from this perspective, that's not actually the point. The point isn't the words you're saying. Oh, money, money, home. It's maybe the meaning and it's the repeated coming back to and focusing on. I mean, if you're saying, I hate you very much, I hate you very much, you're not going to have maybe a, a positive, peaceful, pleasant, you know, experience, right? So you need to think about what the words you're choosing. But that's like, uh, 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 that's part of this concentration practice is, you know, refining, breathing in, breathing out, saying in, out, calm, relax, right? That's mantra practice in a sense. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I be peaceful. May you be happy. May you be healthy. Healthy. May you be peaceful. That's concentration practice. Lifting, moving, placing, shifting, lifting, moving, placing, shifting, concentration practice, body-centered concentration practice. Helpful. When you have this busyness, agitation in the mind, the Buddha would say increase, increase concentration, refine your attention to one point, one-pointed awareness. I agree. I think that's a good a good idea. I've I've exper- I've experimented with all these because I'm like you know I mean maybe you're like me like I don't just buy it just because somebody said it. So don't just buy it because I'm saying it. Right? Try it and see if it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, cool, don't do it. But if give it a, give it a good try, right? Like the first time you ride a bike, you fall over, you don't have to sell the bike, right? Or if it gets a flat tire. First time out, you probably hold on to the bike for a little while. Concentration is helpful. Doubt. Doubt, doubt. Doubt, doubt. Doubt comes up, just don't believe it. That's eh, bullshit. Now there's a certain amount of kind of like discernment and there's a certain amount of curiosity that is actually encouraged, right? The Buddha encouraged inquiry. Find out for yourself. See what's true. But don't get so locked into the question that you can't actually live into the answer, right? That we can't actually practice into the answer. This is part of what... um, the Buddha points to with doubt. Like, be skeptical. I was. I still am. But how do we increase... Hmm, how do we decrease doubt? Any thoughts? Increase experience. Increase experience. That's right. Confidence. Bueno. 
Those are, that's exactly right. Faith. It's a strange word. People get all kinds of ideas about it. The Buddha talked about verifiable faith. Faith that you can verify through experience. Gain confidence. Inspiration. Right? What inspired you to come to meditation? Why do you keep coming back? Something must be happening. Right? Have doubt. That's okay. Doubt it. Doubt the doubt. Because it's usually just, you know. Doubt comes in so many strange forms. I remember one time I was sitting, meditating on this beautiful platform at Spirit Rock. had an umbrella so the sun wasn't burning my head. It was like perfect, right? It was like in March. Mm. February. Yeah, it was in March. Sitting beautifully. Mm -hmm. And then I hear this like, behind me. And I'm like, oh shit. It's a mountain lion, for sure. For sure. It's got to be mountain lion. Now, mind you, there is deer and uh, little fawns and stuff. It's springtime and wild turkey doing their little turkey dance, right? All over the place, right? And squirrels and, you know, alligator lizards. And, and I'm like, cougar, you know, mountain lion. And, it, and, and I'm like, okay, it's not. I'll just let it go. Just, just let it go. Fear, right? This was kind of like fear too. And then uh, breathing, meditating, letting it go. All of a sudden, and it feels closer, right? Like right behind me. And I, I'm like freaking out. I'm starting to have fear is starting to arise. And I'm like, I know that it is just a deer. I know it. But yet my body and my mind is just like, no, you, you don't know, actually. It could be a mountain. You are pretty high up because I was like away from like up in the mountains a little bit on this platform. So my mind started going and going and going. And it was just, you know, it was just doubt. Eventually I did. I turned around because I was like, all right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> freaking mountain lion ain't going to eat me, you know, right? Truth is that if. You're just sit, sitting and meditating and a mountain lion walks by. The mountain lion is just going to walk by, actually. But I looked, you know. And then I like laughed at myself and I was like, God, I was just so locked in that for so long. Was it a deer? <laughs> it was, actually, yeah. It was three little fawns, yeah. They were like teenagers and then the, their... Uh, so then I watched him for a while, you know. And I was like, okay. And I went back to meditating and I was, you know, I had more faith. I had more confidence that I could stay there and not get eaten by a mountain lion. So the wisdom component. So desire, sensual desire, this kind of need for pleasure. Um, this desire, this uh, pull towards pleasurable sensation. Wisdom is the antidote. Because what does wisdom say? What does wisdom say when it comes to desire? You're wise. Tell me. Hmm? Temporary. Temporary, yeah. 
uh, be careful. It's temporary. Don't get lost here. Wisdom says that which arises passes away. Nothing lasts forever. If it sounds too good, it is. Too good to be true. I'm still a sucker though. Like, you know, some, like I'll get a call for like a cruise and an airplane free air ticket and Bahamas for like $6.99 and I got my credit card out. It actually happened to me once. Not that long, about a year ago. About a year ago. I was like, yeah. And then a trip to Vegas and I'll take my mom to Vegas and like, I got all like, yeah, like in the, in the desire of like a good deal, you know? And then I hung up the phone, and then Wisdom jumped in. Like right then. <laughs> a little late, Wisdom, but thanks. And I, so I had to go, and I had to actually cancel my credit card. Because I was about to get robbed for I don't even know how much. <laughs> I canceled my credit card, and I was like, yeah, that was not wise. Because we like it. Like, we like to go, you know, on cruises to the Bahamas, right? Beautiful. And they, like, painted some picture. I was lost in it. So as we increase wisdom, too good to be true, that which arises passes away. And discernment, part of the wisdom is discernment. So this is considered the five hindrances, the things that get in our way from our own peace and ease, and the five faculties, which when we can master them, develop them, uh, sharpen them, they become powers that are unshakable. And they work together. But see for yourself. Next time you have a... The other way of thinking about wisdom is actually looking at the Dharma. The Four Noble Truths. The Eightfold Path. And Three Characteristics of Existence. So if we're lost in sensual pleasure or the precepts, that's a bit of wisdom. We'll get into that at some point. Again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.